Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode of Tapis Rouge. I'm your host, Guillaume Cochois, and the shout-out of the day goes again to Alan Paris, the beautiful stage manager of Curios, who was the first one to find out our very special guest today, René Bazinet. By the way, I've seen that Alan was on three different Cirque shows in, what, two months? He's amazing. Now, if you've been working for Cirque or have been a fan for a while, you know that René Bazinet is Cirque du Soleil royalty. He has been this mystical figure that traced a whole new direction of physical comedy that a lot of Cirque clowns and characters followed in shows that came to life after Saltimbanco. His story is also very intertwined with David Shiner, another monster of clowning and pillar of Cirque du Soleil. It was truly an honor to sit with René and listen to his early career, his beginnings at Cirque, working with Franco Dragon and Deborah Brown, and much, much more. I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys. So here he is, the legend René Bazinet. René, welcome to Tapis Rouge. All right, here I am. Thank you very much for inviting me. René, you are um, an extremely important figure in the history of Cirque du Soleil. Was. You, was. <laughs> to me, you're still, you still are. To me, you still are. <laughs> um, and you've been working for the company for a very long time. Could you, could you take us from the very beginning? How did you first get involved with clowning first and then with Cirque du Soleil? Oh, my God. We only have an hour, right? Really? <laughs> 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 oh my god yeah um oh my god i've discovered lately and i've known it for a long time but it's it's affirming itself more and more the um the depths of the really funny people come from a very turbulent childhood you know um most of the funniest ones i know and i looked into their life a little bit and it's pretty hair raising what they went through so it's like a driv you're driven to is something inside of you has to express itself that is has not been expressed you see and it needs it so much you become obsessive mm -hmm. and it's like that is um and you cannot do anything else but you must go back onto the stage and then you you know you have a flop and you, you go back and you go back until it works and it will work and you make it work and it does finally work but without this obsessiveness uh, you won't make it, you know. I mean, you, you really need to have this. And most of the, like I said, it comes from a very turbulent uh, childhood, most of them. So for me, um, I went to three, three years of theater school here in, um, <clears throat> in, Mont in Montreal on the West Island in the John Abbott College. And I wanted, I wanted to become an actor. I went there, I was 20 years old. And um, I, uh, I wanted to, you know, I do Shakespeare and everybody starts laughing, you know, so... It was not easy for me to, you know, and and my teacher, John Torrell, who was an ex-Lecoq student already. From Yves Lecoq School in Paris. Right. And he took me under his wings. And we created a one-man show because he realized that I have incredible talent, physical talent, you know. And um, in my mind, well, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. I was, um, <clears throat> that was a borderline case, I would say. I was oh, happy. Yeah. But you know, I was hiding a lot of things. I was, I didn't know who I was. I hadn't got, I hadn't a clue who I was. I was just this nervous little freak running around wanting to express himself. That's basically. Mm -hmm. And then, I, then come the teachers, you know, hey, you know, you got to channel this energy, no, 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 and uh, let's practice speaking and you know on the stage and stuff. And, but anyway, John Terrell took me under his wings, created in the second year created um, a one-man show with me, which was quite successful. And that's when I really clicked and said, well, I, I do have this talent, you know, because people really enjoyed it and I realized I can do it. So from there... And did you enjoy it yourself? Yeah, I loved it because it's like, uh, I was, I realized like, wow, maybe I am made for this, you know, because mm -hmm. this is, uh, it, it was kind of obvious to me when I was on stage that uh I was kind of, I was like a hand in in a glove. I was the hand, the stage was the glove, and I fit mm -hmm. right in. And, and mm -hmm. I, uh, I just I had to, you know, uh, work on the qualities of performing and so on, uh, get experience, right? But after my three years of John Abbott College, I was um, 
I wasn't ready for the market. I was 23 years old. And, and my teacher, John Terrell, says, well, look, I'm, I'm going to write you a recommendation letter to Lecoq. And then uh, uh, I was uh, in 1978, September, I was in, in Paris all of a sudden. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah. I was in- for the, the listener who are not, wouldn't be accustomed with this school, it's an extremely well-known and difficult acting school to to get in in Paris. Yeah, it's physical acting. The insignia of the school is the Harlequin, which I understood at the end of this, uh, at the beginning of the second year, I understood why, because all of the the whole philosophy, the whole focus on the physical instead of the mind, it was the physical. (laughs) Don't tell me, show me. And the neutral mask was just a, such a magical instrument to lose oneself in. It was beautiful. It was magical. It was very, very magical. Uh, but Gaulier was there too, you see. And Gaulier is a clown teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, and he was very powerful. He still is. He's old now. But because he was like cut and dry. He was a, re- a rebel. He, you know, the first time I saw him, he appeared in a <laughs> Chinese communist Mao outfit, blue. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he had his pipe in his mouth and, and he had all this hair and a beard and this nose that came and this horned glasses and the nose that came out of all of this hair was a bit red because mm-hmm. he was an alcoholic. Yeah. So, but he was so funny and so <laughs> dry and so intelligently feeling the people's, the students' sensitivity. But he was heavy because he would insult you the whole day, you know? <laughs> and and he would insult any, everybody. But yeah. <laughs> such a, such a um, uh, tongue-in-cheek way that you don't know, is he serious, is he not serious, but you get it. And everybody would, you know... It took me a while to understand that he was actually insulting that which isn't real in us, the ego and the personality. You know, now if you don't get that, then you're going to be in hell because mm-hmm. <laughs> you, st- you can't stop defending your ego and he will keep on, you know, destroying it. So, but that which isn't real can be destroyed and that which is real will always be there no matter what. You see, this is the, ma- the magic of the, the heavy duty teachings that um, I remember going through with uh, my other, you know, my colleague students. And um, it was already there quite, uh, quite intense. You know, I've seen uh, incredible breakdowns, like psychological breakdowns. I remember David Shoemaker in the middle of the clown workshop, he was in the corridor in on the floor in fetal position with his thumb in his mouth, you know? Wow. yeah, he was going through a crisis, and Lecoq would walk by, look, look at this creature, of the student on the floor. He says, "Aha, temps de crise, n'est-ce pas? Time, time oh. of crisis." Right? Oh my and it was God, just yes. part of the whole process. Like everything mm-hmm. is allowed. Yes, <laughs> nothing sure. is judged. You are yeah. a human being. You're going through a journey, and you are going through a journey, boy. You are going through a journey. <laughs> you know, yeah. it is, it is deep. In other words, it's very, very fucking deep the, the work the, of the real clowning because you really have to face your fears. You have to face your shortcomings. Actually, you can use your shortcomings that you thought were your shortcomings. And this is the magic because you transform, you alchemize the suffering, your personal suffering into, into, into laughter and joy, into joy and laughter. Now, I don't know who's ready to do that. But that is 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 intense. Mm-hmm. It's a very intense process if you really want to be good at what you're doing. If you wanted to uh, exercise a profession, make a profession out of making a fool out of yourself for the rest mm-hmm. of your life, <laughs> yes, and and survive mentally. For me, it was intense, you know. And I met quite a few intense characters along the way who were also quite funny. But this is um, the base, you know, where I woke up and. Um, and, uh, you know, <clears throat> and at the school, uh, there was a neutral mass. Like I said, it was a, it's a magical instrument uh, where we, tr- tr- we we became everything. We, we you know, uh, fire, we transformed into fire. We were lying on the floor. I mean, I remember the first, uh, the first exercise, lie on the floor, you know, um, uh, empty your head of everything until you totally disappear and then wake up on the planet in the body for the first time. 
ever. Hardly anyone could do this, of course, because it's it's like we have a history. Mm -hmm. The neutral mass does not have a history. Mm. I've seen two times people who actually, <gasps> and everybody's hair was on edge, because <laughs> we're in the presence of an angel. Oh, well, it's amazing. Yeah, it was just like, oh, my God, you uh, couldn't even think. You were just like, this is real, yeah. This is human, yeah. Well, it's beyond human. Yeah, I don't know what this is. <laughs> this is beautiful. This is magical, you know? So there is um, um, a home base for all of this madness. You mm -hmm. understand? There is a yeah. home base that you can actually reach and you can actually study, that you can actually go to and, and come back to, in a way. Mm -hmm. It's like a net, a safety net for you to go, okay, all of this is mad, but now I'm going to go back to the neutral, which is almost like I'm going back to meditation. I'm going back to mm -hmm. quiet mind. I'm going back into emptiness and to be replenished again. You see, this is a technique that you need in order to survive this kind of crazy um, profession that, that you want to do if you want to become a clown, you would say. And how was the impact on you as a young artist to go through all that very intense process? How did that shape your vision of what you wanted to do? Like during this whole process, did you still want it to be an actor? Or Well, one thing, one thing led to another. Um, the school was quite expensive. My dad paid for the school, which was like a lot of money. But I had to pay everything else, my my uh, you know, my apartment, my phone, my everything. So I um right away when I was in Paris, I went straight to the streets and played pantomime in the streets, you know, in Centre Georges Pompidou. Mm -hmm. And I did that for 10 years. Wow. 10 until, years. Yeah, until from 78 till 88. Wow. Of course, I did other things in 19, you know, I've I've got I was uh <clears throat> so in Japan, I was in Japan, I was in Israel, you know, people invited me on all kinds of trips because they saw the talent I have and mm -hmm. You know, I remember being uh, invited by Israelians with David Shiner too. You know, to, to yeah. go to uh, to to Tel Aviv and join uh, the Passover and and this incredible like Disneyland ground where they had everything there from Indian hoop dances from New York to Jamaican bands to do you know wow. But but it was intense. You see, we but we were street artists at the time and we were powerful. Uh, because people loved us, so we could make live living out of that. Because it's mm -hmm. uh, you know it's hand to mouth, right? <clears throat> so yeah. the stuff that I've learned that I learned in the morning at Lecox, I made money with on the same day. Wow, it's amazing! Yeah, it's a very direct stream of use using the knowledge that you get immediately. Yeah. I, mean, I needed cash. Yeah, and and for fixed point, bafta, a little bit, and it works right on a rhythm. Keep a rhythm. Keep mm -hmm. a rhythm. Keep a rhythm. So you get all the fixed point and the rhythm, and people. Uh, 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 glued to you. Mm -hmm. You can't look away. Why? Because you got that poetry, you got the rhythm. You go from one thing to the next. You have the eye, you have the contact with the public. The public is glued to you and you reel them in, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's you're in the streets. So uh, anybody can just stop and watch you or just leave if you're not good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just leave, right? So you got to be really. Yeah. 110% in a way. And I assume that's also a very good way of learning and practicing your craft too, because as you say, if the people leave, it's something that you're doing that's not quite it's obvious. there yet. You know, they leave, you're, you're boring. <laughs> it's, I mean, how obvious can it get? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not my day today. Maybe I should go, you know, and relax a bit and have a coffee and come back. But uh, <laughs> it's so obvious. I mean, it's, it's just, it's real. Mm -hmm. But when you touch a crowd of, let's say, 50 to 100 people for half an hour or 20 minutes even. And you know you were good and they just, they're laughed so hard, they have tears in their eyes. Then you take off your hat and throw it into the center of the circle and they flock around the hat to give you money. And in those days, it wasn't a euro, it was like these thick the francs, yeah. pieces, you know. Man, it's like... You buy a beer with that 10 franc and it tastes great. Yeah. Because there you feel the love of the money going into the beer from the people coming into you. It's like mm -hmm. it's a real honest living, you know. You understand? Yeah, for it's sure. so obvious that when it works, it works. When it doesn't, it doesn't. You have no money. Mm -hmm. Good luck. You know? At that time, from these travels already that you have saying like you went to Israel and other places, how did you manage the 
the subjectivity of your audience because every people is different. You have the different of cultures too. So how did you... Sensitivity. Sensitivity. I mean, you need to adapt. You see, this is the whole thing. Life adapts. Death is hard and, and, and brittle. It'll break. Your ideas, no fixed ideas, so you break. You've got to be lucid, you know, mercurial. You just change. You you adapt yourself to the environment. You, you don't disappear. You're still there with all your mm -hmm. beauty. The core of you is very beautiful. The core of you is beautiful. The core of you is beautiful. But, you know, it's all covered up. You mm -hmm. understand? It's all covered up. And it's getting more and more covered up right these days with all these rules and regulations to keep you distracted away from your true self. You mm -hmm. know? So... But if you, <clears throat> for me, it was always going into a secondary state, like a higher state of being when I play, if it's on the street or if it's uh, in a festival in um, Israel or if it's in Tunisia or wherever in Japan, in galas that are very well paid, um, it's to go into that secondary state, dis the personality disappears and you become uh, this child that is having fun playing. Mm -hmm. See, you have a, um, a vehicle, you have a structure of, of how, you know, you your ideas, what how you uh, want to make people laugh. It's just a, basically an excuse to be in front of a public and have fun. Mm -hmm. The ideas that you have, they're the stupid ideas usually. Like a child's ideas are usually a bit awkward, you know, but mm -hmm. this is Clown. Clown has a stupid idea and all of a sudden, oh my God, I wouldn't even go for that idea. Well, he did and he makes people laugh. <laughs> you understand? It's so simple. Yeah. But it's awkward. It's surprising, you know. Like a child can be surprising and spontaneous, you know, because mm -hmm. he doesn't know anything, so it has access to everything. In fact, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, because it doesn't. It's not closed down to all these rules and regulation. And you know, become some in some closed up in some kind of box. You know, no, it's it's really about gaining freedom to be who you are, and to regain your inner child's happiness your inner child's joy your inner child's spontaneity your inner child's uh, um, being alive and everything is new you mm -hmm. know that and i don't know if you remember that but you know that's how it was when we were children everything was new brand new oh my god look at that i haven't seen that before you know mm -hmm. so you, you discover life and and we've discovered we stopped discovering it because we we're so covered up with all these rules and regulations you see that, that's mm -hmm. where where we get distracted and we have to make a living you know mm -hmm. um, dollar is the bottom line na, 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 na. you understand so mm -hmm. we get caught up in the in the in the matrix you know yeah yeah mm, for sure when did you graduate from the school I graduate, you know, it's, it's like life is writing a scenario. You know, it's, it's, I can, it's the only way I can put it because it's not me who wrote the scenario. I just followed it. Mm -hmm. Because right after the school, Goli, uh, this, you know, in 81, I believe, Goli took us all, not all, but some of us, like myself and some other people, to Frankfurt in the Theater am Turm. And and uh, made a kind of a, a show with all of us by by showing the different styles Lecoq was giving, and it was an entertaining evening. I was playing Pierrot and I was playing uh, uh, Harlequin, mm -hmm. and then people saw me like uh, Argentinians, and they they wanted me very badly, and they they said, okay, uh, sign this contract for a year to to work with us, and it's an Argentinian Grupo Instrumental de Buenos Aires, it's, it's an Argentinian group. Musical, musical theater. So I was okay. watching opera singers and 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 a uh, lot of singers, a lot of musicians, and and me, you know, the, the physical artist. Uh, but I ended up writing Dada's texts in the end after mm. one year. It was beautiful. I mean, we created five shows in my presence. While I was, we created five shows out of nothing, you know, that one year. But at the end of that one year, I could count my ribs because I was I was burnt out. I, I um. Um, you know, obsessiveness can mm -hmm. burn you out. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and if you don't know how to balance it, it you can burn out. So mm -hmm. I burnt out and I went, I stopped that and went back to the streets in Paris, you see. Mm -hmm. Did you have any dream at that time? Like any young professional dream? Any kind of shows or anything you wanted to no, do? No, I was studying the Tao, the Tao taking every morning and every night. You know, I didn't have any any plans. I was here. 
I was I was on the edge of society. I didn't pay any taxes, which is what I miss mm-hmm. now because my pension is very small. <laughs> Ten years, uh, you didn't pay, Mr. Bazinet. Oh, <clears throat> yeah, right. So, uh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm 67. I have to work because yes. I don't have enough pension, you know. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah. So I was on the edge all the time. Um, I didn't most of the time. I didn't have a carte séjour. But I was with Spirit. I mean, Spirit and I had a relationship. I was in makeup, you know, walking through the streets. There's five policemen coming to us. And my guides would say, smile to them. And hey, how are you doing? And everybody yeah, you know, nobody would even think about asking me for a carte de séjour if I make them smile, right? Mm-hmm. So it was always like hand to mouth and every day something else is happening and I don't care what's going on. Here I am. <laughs> crazy <laughs> yeah it is crazy isn't it for an yeah. old person that's totally on the edge isn't it yeah no it is plans, really. no tomorrow there is no tomorrow mm-hmm. there is just now <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah for sure <laughs> but uh and then i you know i had people telling me hey you're wasting your time on the streets you know um and so on and so on like mentor i had a mentor Anita mm-hmm. Lastic. she was uh, very upset with me and Golier himself says you tu brutalises ton art on dans la rue mm-hmm. and he was right i mean he was right i do did brutalize because on the street you have to be very you have to be 110 percent mm-hmm. in order to make money you'd have to be really out, hysterically out there Mm-hmm. You know, to 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 get the attention from everyone, you have to make very big movements so to catch them from mm. far away. And then you have to, you know, and then you get into a kind of a habit of, uh, and since it's the street and they haven't paid, and you you know they're gonna walk away any moment. Uh, you sometimes have you become a victim of cheap jokes. You know, you grab your balls, everybody mm. laughs. You know, yeah. you make yeah. money. You know, this mm-hmm. is gonna make the money. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So you you it's true you can abrutir uh, ton art you can uh, brutalize your art being in the street because you don't even notice it it just it's an insidious process that happens but sh- slowly yeah, you but don't, surely you don't realize it you know you know it's like the the frog that is in the water that's starting to cook to boil he doesn't realize it and it's too late you know mm-hmm. even with that did you have a limit or like a red line in your comedy you're like I will not go there I won't do this kind of stuff well. You know, that's that's again. It's the it's personal. You see, it's the um, um, David Shiner. I met him in the streets. Okay, mm-hmm. and we became friends. He was he was an amazing performer. One day, <clears throat> I know because I never do that. He asked me, I, I don't have a guy passing the hat. Could you pass the hat for me, Renee? Okay, all right. I, while you play, I pass the hat. Or he's got a show that's like at least forty minutes. So. I saw him do things that were so outrageous, right? That 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 nobody, I've never ever, anyone else see do what he did. Okay, there's a circle. It's like uh, winter time. It's not snow, but it's kind of cold. People with coats, and he's got a thousand people around him. I mean, I I, I used to play, have fifty people, you know, in the afternoon. And all of a sudden, my crowd is leaving me. Mm. Why? Because David walks onto the square. Mm. You know, yeah. thanks, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> he's a very powerful performer. When he appeared, everybody flocked around David. You know, he was a very powerful man. And so there was this this crowd around him of a thousand people. And um, and there were these um, you know, the, these um Eastern you know, uh, Arabian uh, people uh, on the floor. They were usually uh, on, on hanging around their bulwark and they weren't working, they were probably uh uh, on chômage, you know, mm. and and they were there always because, uh, and they hardly ever paid because they didn't have any money. So they were mm-hmm. there. But there was this rich German with his, you know, coat and his wife, mm-hmm. and they looked like they were stinking with money. So he just, uh, he was making some jokes and the German was laughing and he just walked over to the German, opened his coat, went into his coat, took out the wallet, opened it up, right? And took out five hundred franc bills and and handed them out to each Arab that was standing there. Oh, really? Wow! <laughs> yes, you know. So they, I mean, these Arabs never had five hundred dollars and have uh, five hundred, uh, you know. But they were in the front row, so they couldn't escape because there was a thousand people. Everybody was behind them. Yeah. So there they are with all this money and in a row and all these 
this paper is flying and flitting in the air. <laughs> oh my <laughs> can't god! Leave. Yeah. And he goes back to the Joe with the empty wallet and throws it at his at his feet. I said, "What do you think? That's funny." You know, he didn't say that, but with a look. And he took his wife and just danced with his wife, threw his leg over his wife's shoulder. And I went, my God, ah, oh where's this going to go? Yeah. I mean, put yourself in the, in the shoes of the German, right? The guy's like totally destroyed. He lost his money. He lost his wife all in a minute, you know? Yeah. And he's cornered because he's in the middle of the circle. So there is nothing he can do really. He doesn't have the tools to know how to react or anything. Well, he's, he's shocked, right? But he's still mm -hmm. chuckling. Now, he takes his wife and he goes over to the other side of the circle. There's a, a punk couple, you know, with the wild Mohican hairdo and all the holes all over the face. Takes, <laughs> takes the little girl out of uh, this, this punk's arm, throws the German woman in her arm and starts dancing with, with the punk girl, you know. Oh, my God, it was just too much. And then all of a sudden he stops and looks at the Arabs and everybody got nervous. And it's a laugh, a laugh, because everybody knew, right? Yeah, yeah. Is everybody knew. So meanwhile, I'm collecting the money and there's these 10 franc pieces going into the hat and my arms are starting to hurt. <laughs> because it's heavy. You understand? Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> Tears in their eyes, right? Wow. So th that, that circle was on a wall and on a wall on top of that was a railing where people are, you know, hanging over and looking down like this, mm -hmm. right? And one guy was <laughs> laughing and he goes, what the fuck? And he, but there was a flagpole. So David ran to the flagpole. Dum, 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 hop, dum, 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 was up there. All of a sudden, right beside the guy, this fat guy who was laughing. And they oh, the guy was like really shocked. Oh, fuck, it's my turn. <laughs> yes, for sure. And David looked at him. Oh, man, it was so funny. So there was all these people on the railing mm -hmm. looking. So David looked down at all these thousand people, put his hand on the railing, stepped in the row of where people are looking, pushed out his chest only, and mm -hmm. all of these people dun, 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 going away from the railing, letting him, giving him a passage. Wow. Nobody would believe it if you wouldn't have seen it. You know, you couldn't, you do that in a Hollywood movie, nobody would believe it. Of course, it's written, but this I've seen. It's yes, for the sure. The guy yeah. did it, you know. It's crazy. Right in front of you, and the, and the money kept flowing. You know, it's like, it's too much. Now, this is real power, you understand? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's real, real, real power. But it's it comes from a very deep place. You see, David's fun, David's comedy was, he was exaggerating just a little bit his inner rage. Mm -hmm. You understand? Because he was in, in, in a rage against uh, how he was treated and so on. You see, it comes mm -hmm. from a very deep place. Um me, I was kind of uh, hiding behind sweetness, kind of clown, yeah. trying to do the best I can to survive mm -hmm. in this insane world, right? As a mm -hmm. child, as my mm -hmm. child was like that. My God, these guys are all crazy. They're they're drinking, they're crazy, they're insane, and they beat me up whenever they can. <laughs> this is insane, you know? Mm -hmm. You understand? This comes from a deep place. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm going very personal here. No, no, it's for sure. You might have to cut it out. <laughs> no, it's perfect. This is no, very it's... deep shit, you know. It's not just fun and games like people imagine here, you know. Yeah. But uh, the power was real. <clears throat> and, you know, uh, I was in Paris for 10 years. Uh, this, was, this was actually the beginning of the 80s. I think uh, I met David in 82, probably, or maybe 80. Um, so we were, he was just there for a while. Um, I stayed there for until, you know, 88, but I also had a, you know, uh, a sudden invitation to do, um, uh, Pierrot for Jean-Paul Belmondo was going to play a part mm -hmm. and I was going to play the Pierrot and the intermission, you know, mm -hmm. Lecoq wanted me to do that, uh, you know, he found out my phone number and so on but for some reason my guides said no don't do that and i said why not you know this is this is and they you know i listened to my guides i just mm -hmm. this, this is all i had you know i'm on the edge i pay no taxes i have no carte de séjour mm -hmm. i'm always on the edge <laughs> and all i had was my inner voice mm -hmm. and it says don't do that it's okay okay i won't and i guess lecoq got a pissed off upset but a week later, a television contract comes through playing with Simon Signore. And my guys went, there you go. 
that you do. And I go, yeah, you bet I'm going to do that one. <laughs> and I was in it all of a sudden in a TV series was uh, Simon Signore's last film uh, because she had cancer. I didn't even know that, but uh, she died two months after the, after the, the series was done. It's a mm -hmm. four-hour series called Musical, directed mm -hmm. by Marcel Brival. It was an incredible adventure being with this very high class actors and you know it was just amazing i mean mm -hmm. it was beautiful it was just so so it wasn't only the streets as you can see you mm -hmm. understand yeah our partner in this episode is circus talk the online carrier marketplace for circus and the performing arts circus talk is the new thing that is great for our international circus community it is an amazing information resource, bringing news, events, and industry trends to us, professionals working in the field. What also makes Circus Talks amazing is their first online casting platform that connects talents and talent seekers in circus and performing arts. If you're a talent seeker, you can finally post jobs and auditions in a professional and transparent way, instead of using social media accounts. There are already over 28,000 artist profiles on Circus Talk that talent seekers can search while talents can find jobs and apply to them via the Circus Talk platform. You can get your first month free on both Circus Talk Talent and Talent Seeker Pro membership by using the promo code TAPIROUGE in one word. So go to circustalk.com, sign up to Pro and use the code TAPIROUGE to find your spotlight with our partner, Circus Talk. All right, guys, a little side story now. Back in 2014, I hurt my back training backstage before a show. The pain was so intense, I couldn't put my socks on, sit for more than two minutes, and obviously, it took me out of the show for quite some time. I followed a strict core rehabilitation program, and after six weeks, I got back on stage. But I kept having recurring pain. So I started to educate myself about core anatomy, rehab training, and pain science. I wanted to understand why am I doing all these exercises if the pain keeps coming back. The more I was learning, the more I understood I had to change. I started switching exercises, tweak some techniques and executions, and also completely changed my perception of pain. After a couple of weeks, on top of reducing considerably my pain level, I was feeling so much stronger, which increased my confidence to move and better perform on stage. My life overall was so much better. Finally, I was pain-free and not scared to hurt my back again. I had a lot of artists and athlete friends who saw that happening and asked me, hey, what did you do for your back? And I thought, I could put it all out in a clear and clean way, instead of always pulling random videos on YouTube and giving quick guidance. So I reached out to all the best doctors, physiotherapists, and performance medicine specialists whom I met touring, and asked them to help me develop Protocol Cut to the Core. Protocol Cut to the Core is the first rehab and strengthening protocol for back or hip pain that also includes a comprehensive course in core anatomy, biomechanics, and pain science. It is approved by doctors, physios, and performance medicine specialists from five different countries. If you are suffering from acute or persistent back or hip pain, you can find protocol Cut to the Core on our website at cuttothecorefitness.com. When movement is an issue, movement is the solution. And now, let's get back to the show. Theatre um, La Colline was going to be uh, reopened, you know, the fifth the National Theatre, mm -hmm. Jorge, Jorge Lavelli. When he saw me in the, um, in the audition, he saw me and he recognized me from 1981, where I was in Graz with the, with the Argentinian group. And he mm -hmm. looked at me and says, you're in. And he says, oh, okay, okay, okay. I've seen mm -hmm. you, you're in. I said, okay, I'm in, all right. So all of a sudden, you know, I was in the, mm -hmm. Le Public, in France, the reopening of the Fifth National Theater and the you know, TV was there and everything, and 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 I was one of the the l'homme uh, and in one moment I took all my clothes off. I was mm -hmm. totally naked. 
and I was in white. I had, you know, put white white makeup on all over my body. Mm-hmm. Anyway, people sometimes actually applauded me during my play. Mm-hmm. And after the premiere, I went back to uh, my mentor, Annette Elastic, mm-hmm. very intelligent woman. And I said to her, wow, look at me. They applauded me. And she looked at me, Renee, you will not be in the papers. I said, what do you mean? You will not be in the papers. I said, why not? You're not French. Sorry? You're not French, Renee. You will not be in the papers. Mm. And she was right. That's when I realized, I realized, okay, I have to get out of here. Mm. You know, I will never uh, go uh, anywhere here. It's just impossible. Mm-hmm. It's a closed circuit. Uh, no matter how good you are, it doesn't matter. Okay, you realize yet yeah, that you reach your limitation in this environment. Mm. And I, I asked for Lavelli for last gig, and he was directing an opera, La Celestine, and he gave me the role of the book. You know, um, uh, kind of. Um, a goat figure with mm-hmm. horns, you know, uh, with goat legs and hoofs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was appearing under the skirt of the of the witch, and you know, in front of all of Paris. It was fun. It was, mm-hmm. uh, but I made enough money with that to get out of Paris. And David invited me to live um, to come to join him in Munich, and then then I went to Munich, and then we created a, uh, a duo show together. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we toured for about a year, year and a half, something like that. And then he went to Cirque du Soleil. And I always had the suspicion that he must have talked about me so much that they came looking for me. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they came looking for me. But uh, by that time, I, I wasn't really interested, truly. I don't know if we want to cut this out, this part, no. but I wasn't really interested in running away with the circus. No. Not at all. No. I wasn't interested at all. I mean, that was the farthest thing away from my mind. I was just mm-hmm. in Germany, speaking the language, being maitre de ceremonie in certain galas where I speak, where I do the, the whole trip with the um, the smoking, you mm-hmm. know, the outfit, the, uh, yeah. cane, yeah. the whole thing, and change costume, do um, do my clown. It was an adventure. What can I say? It was, mm-hmm. it was totally... Um, and so what made you say yes in the end? Um, you know, Gilles came over, he, he, Gilles Saint-Croix, uh, for some reason, I was in Paris at the time. I don't know why. That was it. Was a gig, but um, he couldn't convince me. And then I remember Guy coming to. I was in a weak place. I was in a uh, in Stuttgart at a, some uh, variety theater in the afternoon, where old ladies are looking at the show. The music's too loud. The music's too loud. You know? It's like oh my god! It was a very low moment in my life, and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Guy La Liberté comes to say, "Do you want to work with us?" And 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 he, and I, I, even though he caught me in a weak moment, I still wasn't really. No, I, I'm sorry. I'm 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 settled. I'm making money in Germany. This is a terrible gig here right now. But you know, other gigs are going to come. I'm I'm not really interested. I'm sorry, you know. And but then he asked me if, if I'm uh, willing to talk to the director, and I said, "Well, I haven't talked to anybody, you know." Hmm. Uh, of course, but, and, uh, but when he, when Franco Dragone came with Dominique Lemieux, she had the costumes mm-hmm. after the show and that place in the evenings, that guy, that man, mm-hmm. he looked at him and I thought, that's, that's, that's a visionary. Mm-hmm. That is a visionary. And we clicked, you know, and I go, okay, okay. I think uh, looks like I'm running away with the circus. Yeah, you know, because this guy, this guy's real. Uh, this guy was really very powerful and very delicate and very sensitive and visions. He had so many visions that corresponded to my vibrations, to my frequencies. You see, and it's a frequency exchange, really. What this mm-hmm. is about, you know, I cannot exchange real frequency with certain people. I can't. You know, mm-hmm. it's not possible. But him, yes, yes, that was obvious to me. And um, and he just gave me a gift at the end of this evening by saying, what would it take you to, to sign the contract? And I said, okay, I'll tell you exactly what it take, would take for me to sign the contract, I, that I play the child, which is the clown, and that I play mm-hmm. an aristocrat, mm-hmm. and that I play a horny satire, mm-hmm. and that I play uh, some, you know, Death or a Merlin, a dark character, you know. Mm-hmm. 
And he says, okay, I'll write them all in. Okay, I'm, I'm on. Wow. Where's the contract? Where's the contract? And he did. Yeah. He wrote he them did. all in. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. I mean, uh, Gilles St. Croix after says, it's the last time we will do this because I was almost irreplaceable. It was very hard yeah, to replace. Yeah, for sure. You know, I was, you know, uh, people came to replace me and they did a great job. I mean, mm -hmm. Julien Foucault was really tripping on the sound effects. I taught him all of that in, in Japan, mm -hmm. you know, in the, in the, in the, at nights in the hotel room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was he was good. You know, it was for Silti was going yeah, to be Banco. Yes. But it wasn't easy, you know, to um, to do the Baron, to do both wasn't wasn't easy, you know, because I needed that. Uh, because when I told Franco what I want, what I needed, you know, to do it, I said I I, I knew inside I needed this balance mm -hmm. to last years. Yeah. I knew, I knew it. Something in my unconscious, my subconscious knew that this is the balance that you need, Renee, to last a long time. Mm -hmm. So I was a, you know, I opened the show with an invented language, uh, Juzum, and and it was a very regal, but it was also almost androgynous character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. See, yeah, it was a very deep voice, but very fine and and posed, you know, like almost like from another world. Mm -hmm. And and the singer was, you know, uh, for, they were all otherworldly. That's how I saw the whole show. It's like really. Uh, um, this you know, I always said Salter Banco was it's bigger than the sum of its parts. It was like a, a very regal, divine lady that I am serving, you know, that, mm -hmm. that was my the way I looked at Salter Banco, mm -hmm. you know, it was uh, it was magic. And Franco was at the core of creating that magic, you see. Mm -hmm. Um, so when Andrew Watson came in as the artistic director after a few months. <laughs> um he was uh wondering you know how you know i'm, I'm here I'm, I'm directing and and uh so him and me we teamed up and and we took the video the vhs of each night and went back to the hotel room and both of us studied you know the show of that particular night until mm -hmm. four in the morning okay. you know every day you understand wow, every, every day, day. So every day we looked at the show and we looked at one of the characters, mm -hmm. just one. We followed just the parcours of just one of mm -hmm. them. The know? track of that character. Yeah. And, and we decided not to interfere because it was a sacred show. Franco did it and we're not going to change anything. But if somebody needs our help, we're going to be ready. Mm -hmm. See? Because mm -hmm. we know what everyone's doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, for sure. But <laughs> so when people were asking... Oh, I need some advice about, ah, oh, you mean that moment when you stand by the pole and lift your little finger? You mean that moment? You mean, you know what we're doing? Oh, we do. <laughs> yes, we, do. <laughs> we do exactly what you're doing. And how was the creation part with Franco? Because you said you really resonated with him when you first met him, but how was actually the creative process? Like, how did you, did you enjoy working with him? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean... Franco was like stream of consciousness for me, you know, mm -hmm. he had a plan, but when he came in, he hardly looked at his plan. He just did create it. Mm -hmm. And when he did that, it's like, you know, it's pure spirit talking through spontaneously. And for me, that is exactly the frequency that I correspond to because that being on the edge of the, and therefore, and bang, Nunes is coming, and mm -hmm. and then him all of a sudden exploding when we weren't serious enough and we didn't treat the stage sacredly. No, mm -hmm. and he would have a fit all of a sudden, and yeah. I understood why. You know, just no, 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 kids, this is stop. Take your finger out of your nose. This is happening here right now. This is a sacred act you're doing. Mm -hmm. We're working for the world here. We're going to give a new light to this world. You know, and wow, it was intense, right? Mm -hmm. So there was. There was a discipline, a mental, uh, or I would almost say um, professionally spiritual discipline mm -hmm. that was that he introduced into the sacredness of each movement. Mm -hmm. You know that you respect the 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 plateau, the the, the, the stage yeah. that is moving, that is moving in the in the dream sequence, or 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 um, you know Andrew Watson did the choreography for the twins. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, René Dupéré did the music. It was yeah. amazing. I mean, René Dupéré, when we came and we were in the rehearsal, 
he just one uh, Friday night, he said to all of us, um, uh, Monday, bring me, all of you, bring me the, the music that you like. Bring me your CD, your cassettes. Mm -hmm. And we did. Ah, so uh, you know, and from there, he it's almost a tailor cut show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was, for me, the show was very feminine, mm -hmm. very in all encompassing, very beautiful in that way, but it was dream, you know? Mm -hmm. It was a, it was another world. So <clears throat> Franco took me aside one day. He says, Renee, each and every one of these 2,000 people have their own dream interpretation. So don't close anything. Mm -hmm. Do not close anything. Let them dream with the images that that we give them. Mm -hmm. And I always respected that. You see, mm -hmm. I defend. There's anything I defended. It was his vision of let them make what they want with this beauty mm -hmm. you see yeah and and so there was that discipline uh well at least uh, in me and in some others um, right from the start you know it was it was it was introduced it was right there and how long did you stay in Saltimanco for i stayed four years four years okay yeah, yeah. i did about 960 to a thousand shows and uh i burnt out at several times and that's when uh you know, uh, Julien Cotreau came in, or, or um, at the end it was uh, was Amo. I know Amo was much later, but um, you know. And what did you do after Saltimanco? Did you jump on next show right away? No, no. I, uh, you know, after Saltimanco, I, I, I needed. Uh, I was burnt out after Saltimanco. You know, I needed a break, and um, um. I think during at the end of Sartre Marco, I had I fell in love with a with a girl, a Turkish girl who was living in Los Angeles. So I moved to Los Angeles, you know. So I was there for about a year and a half, and um, you know, every day you wake up, uh, ribbit ribbit, you hear the frog, and it's beautiful. You know, it's it's sunny every fucking day. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about Groundhog Day. Yeah. <laughs> But I couldn't really communicate with with uh, anyone there. There was uh, I, I couldn't communicate with people there. I, I couldn't. There was uh, I, I, that's when I realized I'm from Europe. You know, mm -hmm. I really noticed I had to get out of there because I was lonely. I, I couldn't talk to anyone. Mm -hmm. well, only interested in fame and and money and hey, are you a human being still? Hello. <laughs> nobody there. Nobody there. So, yeah. Okay, I got to get out of here. Sorry. <laughs> you cannot even have a normal conversation with anyone, you know? And so what was your next, your next Cirque show? After uh, the next was, uh, you know, Winter Garden, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Winter Garden. Berlin. In Berlin. Now, you see, this is, again, the scenario of how that life is writing because my, my biological father, who I've never met, in my life, mm -hmm. right? He was a, a variety artist. He was a musician. He played guitar. He was tap dancing. He could walk on his hands. He could whistle like uh, like an like like an instrument, you know. Um, but he had worked. He had, there were pictures of him in the real original Winter Garden before the war, mm -hmm. you know. So the Winter Garden totally got destroyed, and they opened in, in another building and called it Winter Garden. But when I got the offer from the Winter Garden, it, I just went click. I, I had shivers. I said, "My God, my my father was my real, uh, yeah, okay, let's let's go." You know, uh, mm -hmm. who, who am I? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then came the film all of a sudden, and I uh, the the Alegria. So that was an adventure. You know, the film is a bit, oh, oh yeah, this is, but some Franco's first mm -hmm. film. So, yeah. You know? <laughs> But it was an adventure. I loved it. I really enjoyed doing it. Yeah, actually, I watched this movie uh, last year. It was so fun to see, like, Tamir, so young there, and like, yourself, and all the Russian bar people. I, I, we, people, and I worked with all these people. So, like, to see them all back then as teenager, it was, it was crazy. It was like a it real. It was another time. You yeah. see, it was an, it was a completely different epoch than we're having now. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's, uh... You know, and 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 you you are creating your own reality. So good luck. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you never went back to Cirque du Soleil after that. No, I, I went back because Franco asked me to do um, uh, to help him out with Kidam. Okay. You know, and and Debbie Deborah Brown was mm -hmm. the choreographer, and and we were just a really Deborah Brown had had some done some gigs with her. Beautiful, beautiful. I understood her work. 
Mm. She's completely going into when she works with one person, she completely loses herself in that one person she's working with. It's mm-hmm. so intensely. Yeah. It's like Franco, but in a different way, mm-hmm. more of a feminine way, mm-hmm. focusing on the body and the fluidity of the body. <clears throat> but she was always looking for the core of who you truly are and mm-hmm. of what you believe you are, you see, which is always what we're all facing. We're all stuck with what who we believe we are, mm-hmm. which is not who we truly are, not mm-hmm. yet. And so I think we're there in this development of humanity right now <laughs> to realize that this ego, this personality is a paranoid android, you know, like Shunemurti mm-hmm. says, it's a paranoid android. It's a very nice description of this mm-hmm. ego, right? And so do you work as a creative, uh, in a creative team? for? The yeah, project, I had, you know? uh, I was teaching the Russians uh, Feldenkrais and movement, you know, pre- mm-hmm. pre- preparation for the stage. Did um, you work with John, John Gilkey? Not really. I let him, you know, uh, um, uh, Franco says, let him, yeah, let him figure it out. You don't even, you know, I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> clown has their own world. Yeah. And I, and he was funny and he was sweet. And I knew that it's going to work. Uh, he was a little insecure and I just, you know, gave him a few words to, to, but I did not work with, with him. No, because Franco says, stay away from him, you know, mm-hmm. let him find himself. Like with me, when I was doing mm-hmm. something, nobody approached me. Yeah. No, no one ever. I mean, even, after, you know, we did, I mean, how many months of rehearsal? There was, you know, and, and people hadn't seen who, what I was going to do after many months. You know, one, and Daniel Touchette, excuse me, uh, this this gentleman over there, what is he going to do? <laughs> who is this guy? We, we never yeah, talked with him. Right? Okay, well, you know, he's, he's going to be the clown. Yeah. Don't worry about him. <laughs> you know, and, and they forced me, actually. I remember very well, um, uh, I, I don't know, these are maybe things you want to cut out. <laughs> <laughs> they forced me to take somebody from the public. I never wanted to take somebody from the public. That uh, was not my idea of a clown mm-hmm. act. I remember Gilles, you know, twisting my arm contractually. You have to take somebody from the public, you know, and so this mm-hmm. that's what we do now. And I go, okay, all right, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did, and and um, I kind of was very pissed off in the after the premiere because it wasn't really Renee. I thought it wasn't really mm-hmm. Renee, but by the time. You know, we were here for two, three months. And by the time we got to Quebec City, I had an interesting incident happening to me. I was tired. I think it was on a Sunday a Sunday afternoon, I believe. I was tired. And I, I when I'm tired, I usually pick the wrong person. Oh. It's just, it's a, it's, it's a surefire thing. Mm-hmm. See, and that's, again, is the attraction of the vibration you carry. Yeah. It's the frequency you carry. And if you're tired and then your brain isn't really there. And there was a group of people and, oh, they look kind of happy. And I take one and I didn't notice anything. So I take one. And before uh, I had this machine room thing, you know, mm-hmm. and I had to ask him to do that. And he did no matter what. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll show you again. You know, pulling mm-hmm. out something mm-hmm. like as if you were a factory worker. Again, he does, he, he does no matter what. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to show you one more time. <laughs> Again, he didn't know. And then I got pissed off, and which is the worst thing you can do as a clown. <laughs> as, in, in, in my shoes. I mean, David Schreiner yeah. is a different clown. But, you know, I mean, David lives off getting pissed off yeah. and make people laugh getting pissed off. Mm-hmm. You know, me, it's not, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I went, what the fuck, you know? And I, I put took my hand, my cupped hand mm-hmm. on his head. Laugh like that. Open it up. Hook his brain up. Threw it on the floor a couple of times, catching it, throwing it around the, the tent, catching it, putting it back in his head. We looked at him. And he went, uh, <laughs> that's when 2,500 people plus clown understood that he was mentally handicapped. Oh, oh, oh my God. Oh my God. You could hear a pin drop. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. I cannot really. And you see, didn't see, I, you were just not so I, I was too tired. I was yet. distracted. I didn't realize. I didn't. Oh I my really God. didn't. How do you, so rec- how I, do you recover? When I realized that, that, you could really literally hear a pin drop. I dropped my arms. I took out my buck teeth. I stopped playing. I looked at him. And I just, I just took him in my arms. 
And I just squeezed him, thinking I didn't say it. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm, I really didn't know. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I let him go, and he was, <laughs> he was okay again, you know. So I go, my God, my God. And I took his hand. I lead him back to his group, and they were all. Yeah, and then you realize, yeah. And the leader of the group, you know, and I got, yeah, and he, and I finished the act with him, and it was, it was wonderful. But you see, that was the worst thing that could have ever happened. Oh my God, and yeah. it happened in the beginning, right in Quebec. Yeah, it's like you crucified your own self. Huh? You crucified your own self in this moment. Well, something was crucified. My pride, the vanity, everything died that moment because what an idiot, Rene. I mean, I didn't give myself a hard time. I looked at it as a gift from heaven because nobody got really hurt, but he made us know at that moment. And, and me, the brain, I mean, yeah, I mean how, yeah. you know, uh, how subconscious, yeah. I mean, how direct can I be? Yeah. I, spontaneously, yeah. like the child knows, yeah. uh, like the child is, 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 is uh, the inner child is in mm. contact with all of the beauty of the planet and, and, and all the weird stuff too. But God, and I was freed after that experience, you see. Mm-hmm. But since it was the worst thing. Yeah. But nothing could happen to me after yeah, that. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. You understand? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Everyone was game. I was liberated. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the worst thing happened. Yeah. Right? Now, years later, and in the at a show, I was at the Winter Garden four, three, four, five times. Uh Again, I was tired. The same fucking story. Mm-hmm. I'm going up. Oh, there's a table with nice people. I'm just like, I can't, you know, I'm tired. Now take the guy, you know, I, I, as I go down towards the stage, having him in my hand behind me, I hear, <laughs> oh boy. Again. Same thing. Yeah, but this I, time, this time I knew. You see? Yeah. And because I knew, I said, okay, I'm going to take him. And I did. And we had a wonderful time up there. But I knew all the time mm-hmm. that who I had to deal with. So when it came to the duel, he did everything I asked him to do. It was wonderful because I, I was expecting a, you know anything mm-hmm. could happen any moment, right? Mm-hmm. So but when he did uh, when we did the, the going around each other um, in the duel, and I go doing a very mm-hmm. loud noise because they put it like a few octaves lower through my microphone. It sounds like mm-hmm. a monster. And when he did it, I did the sound, but with my back to the public, but he was out there and mm-hmm. he did it. And I did the sound and he liked it and he couldn't stop. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. It was so beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. again, and I look at the public, okay, okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, whoa. yeah. <laughs> That oh, was beautiful. beautiful. You see, this when you're conscious, you can work with mm-hmm. the resistances that life is giving you. Life will always give you resistances so that you can um, grow, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, for and, sure. And the first time it happened, it was a beautiful habit because I grew into confidence because the worst thing that ever happened. The mm-hmm. second time it happened, I grew because I knew I could do it consciously and be very fine feeling and considerate under these circumstances. And, and my sensitivity is is developed enough to really be with someone in front of all mm-hmm. you understand mm-hmm. it's, this is always the thing when you take somebody when i took somebody from the public i asked them to come into my public living room yeah yeah right mm-hmm. i am the king there but they are sweating mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i mean their hands were wet the the, the, the pearls were yeah. coming out <laughs> on face was, yeah i was you know and i understood what they're going through and it ended up in telepathy, me, you know, telepathically signaling to him, don't worry, I'm the fool. I'm not going to make you look stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm the fool. Just, just, just let's have fun. It's my living room. It's kind of public, mm-hmm. you know, 2,500 people here at the same time. But uh, just relax, you know. So so I developed a, a way of, of working with um, all kinds, especially in America, with all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would do all kinds of things different. And I would always, my, my inner, this is the power of the inner child. Mm-hmm. The inner child has nothing to defend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see? Mm-hmm. So he's free. Mm-hmm. She. Mm-hmm. Totally free. Anything can happen. It's okay. Mm-hmm. We'll do something with it. Yeah. That's the power of the inner child. When you really, really meditate on it, you will get it, you know? Mm-hmm. But you have to stay with it because it's so pure and so beautiful and so rich. Mm-hmm. 
So I remember in uh, Los Angeles, there uh, again, I was tired. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I get this little mm-hmm. bodybuilder who did not even want to follow the banana peel. He didn't want to do this. He didn't want to do that. We're in Los Angeles. There's 2,500 mm-hmm. people. And I look at the people. I'm going, God, give me a hand. And they, they were, you know, I'm loved. I get them on my side, mm-hmm. right? They love me. But but this guy was resisting so much, right? And and um, and finally, I was literally pulling teeth. You know, mm-hmm. you understand? It was it was a little bit laborious, let's say. Yeah. But finally, when it came down to the sh- to the duel, the shoot, the mm-hmm. shoot down, you know, he couldn't stop shooting me. Oh yeah. <laughs> he just couldn't stop. You see. He's one, <laughs> and he came towards me, shooting me. I was on the floor, and he kept on shooting me <laughs> on the floor, and I was like an electrified yeah. little clown going, oh, my God, only in America. Only yeah. in America. <laughs> it's like, this is wild, okay. Yeah. And then I took his arm after, hey, here he is, your compatriots. Okay, let's yeah. just set him down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was... Um, you know, it's 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 it, it. Everything you do, we can learn from, and everything is talking to mm-hmm. you because you are you are mirroring yourself to everything around you. Mm-hmm. And for you nowadays, what makes you laugh? What do you find funny? Well, <laughs> oh my god, um, you know, it's it's. My own brain makes me laugh. My own shortcomings make me laugh. Spirit actually makes me laugh a lot these days mm-hmm. because I, you know, I'm, I'm doing second time around, of course, in miracles. I'm on the end of my second year now, and I have transformed. It's called a mind training, and it's. I think life is becoming more and more funny to me right now mm-hmm. because I'm more and more liberated from this. Um, I'm not liberated from it, but I'm more and more see clearings away from this paranoid android way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, then that creates a lot of laughter, just to that freedom of finally, I don't believe, I don't have to believe those things anymore that this paranoid android tried to convince me of for so many years. And the relief of that <clears throat> is already often... <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm I'm all of a sudden cracking up, laughing in the middle of the street. I have no idea why, because I feel so liberated. You understand? So mm-hmm. it's not really who is making me laugh. There is no one that makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, people are kind of going through the hell these days, as I've noticed globally. You know, mm-hmm. so I feel like we need each other's support right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but who makes my who made me laugh in the past was Peter Zellers. You know, he made me laugh in the past, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Sometimes I look at his movies, and you know, when I was a child, uh, Stan Laurel, Oliver Hardy made me laugh a lot. You know, because uh, when you've ever seen them do the the thing where they were in the wine cellar, I was convinced that they were really drunk. You know, yeah. they weren't pretending; <laughs> they were yeah. really drunk. So, I mean, this reality and the sensitivity. Um, you know, because they have a complicity with each other, because they're sensitive to each other's energy, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what is uh, I find so essential that um, we are losing today. You know, this sensitivity we are being bogged down by these rules and regulations and all these complications. Mm-hmm. And what I'm allowed to say, what I'm not allowed to say. My God, people using comedy. Comedy now has changed from the past because of these rules yeah it's it's like people you know when you're when you're in fear okay mm-hmm. your mind cannot work mm-hmm. it's not it just doesn't work mm-hmm. because it overwhelms everything else and and it reminds you of all the other moments you have uh, had fear in your life your subconscious is filled mm-hmm. with it and when you tap into that like a lot of people did you're you're just in the land of zombies Mm-hmm. Because they're all afraid, you know. So it's really sad when I see that happen. When I saw it happening, and because a lot of younger people don't understand the depths you need in order to really be funny, that means you have to really transform your suffering, your own personal suffering, into laughter and joy. It ends up being hysterical. Mm-hmm. 
shallow, superficial. Nothing is really, no one is really there, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Rene, I have one last question for you. Mm. Um, if tomorrow aliens would land on Earth, how would you explain Cirque du Soleil to them? I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't have to at all because, I mean, most of them I, I would, uh, are so highly evolved, they know exactly what we're doing, hmm. you know. And when I was doing, actually, um, Salt and Banco, there were moments I was on stage, I felt presence that was just like, wow. And suddenly I'm, I'm in my body with this guest on the stage and, the, and we're rising in frequency and all of a sudden I'm out of my body watching us both from the side. Mm -hmm. You see, uh, this is this is what is waiting for us. This is we, we're all able to do this, and and uh, if they would come here, we wouldn't have to explain anything. Mm -hmm. Okay, nothing, mm -hmm. nothing. I would have to explain to them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Rene, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your your time, and thank you so much for sharing your stories and your wisdom with the listeners and I. Yeah, I just hope that some younger people who are interested in this profession will will take it, you know, will learn something from what I've just said and take it more seriously, other than just, uh, you know, staying in the superface, superface, you know, just to go deeper. You know, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you both. Thank you so much again for your time and for your generosity. Catch you guys later. Bye. Well, that was all right, huh? Man, there's just so much in this episode. Another delicious slice of Cirque du Soleil history and so much wisdom. I mean, René really lives up to his legend. Now, it's time for you to give us a good rating and review. It doesn't take a long time and it really, really makes a difference for the show. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CircusTalk.com or wherever you're getting your podcasts. Now, my friends, that's it for today's episode. Have a great day. Take it easy. Enjoy this beautiful spring. Meld, toy, toy, toy if you're having shows this week. And as we say in the circus, see you down the road.